non-partisan not-for-profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Views the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Views the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Views the Future. Uh, welcome to um, episode 4 of Conversations uh, podcast. Today we have Ryan Boyd, uh, president of um, DUPP Urban Phoenix Project. Um, well, Ryan, thank you for coming to the podcast. Uh, before I ask you about the um, Urban Phoenix, uh, can you please um, help the uh, um, audience uh, know more about yourself? Um, I mean, you are a young professional um, with good uh, accomplishments, so why not help the audience um, find some inspiration from, from you as well? Sure, thanks, Derek. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, as you know, I've uh, got a lot of uh, a lot of fun with urban issues, with as transportation development. But personally, it just comes from being a uh, basically lifelong Canadian. I, I almost call myself native, but I was technically born in California, and uh, my parents had some good sense to get me moving that way um, out when I was young. And so I've been growing up here and uh, went to school down here at Arizona State University and the downtown Phoenix campus and really fell in love with the uh, idea of uh, living in a, a big city where there's all this opportunity and all these fun things to do, whether that's hanging out at coffee shops, whether that's going to different shows and events that happen all over the place. It's nice to really be in a space where you feel like you can really kind of live that American dream where things are possible, you know? Well, that's a really phenomenal vibe, young man. Like, I, I think um, immigrating here from, you know, like um, Cameroon and uh, also growing up in Arizona, I see what you're talking about is that there, there are plen- plenty of um, space as well as plenty of, um, of, of let's just focus on issues that, that can really be um, discussed. And one of that is really transportation, um, but with your awesome background, as well as your awesome personal journey to Phoenix, um, can you please explain what the Urban um, urban Phoenix project um, and, and, and how you got involved into really finding um, those urban issues that you, you, you kind of um, uh, discussed earlier? Definitely. I mean, the beauty of Urban Phoenix Project is it's uh, a real grassroots organization. I mean, it started out as a Phoenix Neighborhood Association. It was originally called the Thunderdome Neighbor uh, Non-Automobility Neighborhood Association or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering it. It was a little bit before I was even here. But it kind of shows just, you know, it's that real, you know, dream of just neighbors and residents coming together because they saw a need to really talk about making it so that you could basically get around the city by walking, by biking, by taking the bus, by really any means that you wanted to. Um, and it's evolved so much over the last 10 years. It's become more and more you know, effective. We've talked with more coalition partners. We've engaged in the different uh, battles for good things on streets and things like that, the city of Phoenix and at the regional level. And uh, we're just excited to kind of see how uh, it, it's uh, a great testament to people coming together, you know, from a variety of different aspects of life. We have people that, you know, are, have been lawyers, we have people who are in tech, we have people who are just 
average folks that retired in downtown, it's it, almost anyone's kind of come through the doors. Um, so it's an exciting organization, and it's really focused on two major um, aspects with some additional smaller projects here on the side. But the two main ones are um, working on the development, the built environment of a city, and that's talking about how new developments coming in, and we need more housing, we need basically more retail and other things nearby the housing. Because um, if you're going to try to talk about transportation, for instance, you really got to talk about the built environment too. If you make it illegal to build a shop next to a house, you're automatically forcing people to go further distances just because of that one policy. Um, and then secondarily, uh, and probably more of uh, your interest on this particular episode, is uh, our transportation work, which is once we get uh, that kind of good density in downtown Phoenix, working off of that infrastructure, we talk about making sure that our infrastructure works for everyone. We're big on complete streets, and what that means is simply that uh, a street should be able to be used by anyone. It shouldn't just be um, a highway. A highway has its place, uh, particularly connecting different cities. Um, but at the same time, you wouldn't want to have a uh, car go 60 miles per hour right outside your house, right? Like there's some big things that we're talking about here where we can really uh, expand and make the most use of our streets, which are frankly quite expensive, you know? Well, that is quite a lot of marketing on grand, grand, grand view of really what we can dive deeper into and give the audience that a clearer picture of some of the um, ongoing developments, as you mentioned, as well as uh, the transportation and the infrastructure that, that is really targeted for everyone, as you said. Um, and, and to really sort of now like boil it down to some of the granular details, um, what are some specific projects that you would like to see develop here? And, 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 and what do you think would make the city like more I think of encompassing, right? You have um, our first episode of urban um, transit, right? It was really looking at some, some, some of the just cost barriers, but you are giving the much more like everything is possible picture here. So what is what is possible? And if you can also comment on the mayor Gallego transportation 250 um, development, does that fall into their um, development um, major aspects of UPP? Definitely. And I mean, uh, I'll just say that, you know, I say anything is possible because we have a long standing history here in Phoenix and, you know, in the greater the country itself of uh, when we want something, we, we put our minds to it and we make sure that it basically gets built. So, for instance, uh, you wouldn't have, for instance, uh, some of the things like a federal interstate highway system without federal investments. You wouldn't have the railroads without the uh, investment that basically they could uh, take the lands next to the lines and build things up. So really, uh, we take a perspective that it's rarely the uh, simply just one kind of neutral, no, 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 no holds bar free market as it is, it, there's a lot of multiple factors being put into play at the same time. Um, and we think that uh, folks work together in a corporate environment, just in the marketplace of ideas, as well as you know at the political level, to invest in our infrastructure. Um, infrastructure is rarely 
just neutral. And what I mean by that, because that's a little bit of a controversial statement, is that um, you have a choice when you're building uh, a street. I'll give you a great example here is in the Central Phoenix Core, there's the 7th Street and 7th Avenue. These streets are designed to be freeways. They are super wide, they have a reversible lane in the middle of them. Those are specific policy choices that have made it so that you could get motorists in and out of the city as fast as possible. If you wanted to do other things, you could. You could take that reversible lane, you could make it into a bus only lane. I mean, we've seen places uh, such as uh, Bogota and Medellin and Colombia have bus rapid transit systems that are simply, you know, dedicated lanes, um, surface uh, boarding, and they invested in that, and that's the route that they went. We invested in something different, and that's the route that we've went. But that doesn't mean we're stuck with it. And that's where Urban Phoenix Project kind of comes in. So I'll, I'll go back to, uh, to your specific question about um, specific projects. I gotta get, I'll gotta. i be a little bit more brief. Apologies for that. But um, the uh, big ones, I think, is that you'll see that uh, we have a desire to really convert some of our streets to having them more pedestrian and bicyclist friendly. We are supportive of Vision Zero program. And what that is, is it's a uh, commitment to reducing deaths on our roads. Arizona has fourth highest uh, traffic fatalities in uh, this country. On the stateside house, the city of Phoenix has routinely had higher um, death tolls than most cities in the country. And that reflects from the fact that, you know, people uh, get hit because people are speeding um, down very wide streets that really encourage you, like a raceway, to think, oh, I've got tons of space, so I can go a little bit faster. There's nobody around. I can go 20 over. And then tragedy strikes when somebody is in a crosswalk or something else, and they aren't seen, and they get hit. Um, so that's one of our biggest ones. There's some other infrastructure we'd like to see down the line. Uh, we are fans of light rail's expansion, but I'll also note here that we like rail. We also like buses. We like bus rapid transit, but I think one of the big things that we want to make sure is that some people consider bus rapid transit to just be slapping, slapping a sticker that says bus, uh, bus rapid transit on the side of an existing bus and saying it's done, and that's not how this works. Um, if you want to make it so that transportation systems work, you have to invest in them, and that means with bus rapid transit, you need to make sure that the buses work frequently, that they're on time, and that they are a comfortable service. Um, and you don't get that when you just throw in a bus on the road and don't do anything else and say, hey, go, go behind traffic and uh, pull out off the side of the road to unload people because you're in this second class citizen kind of status. That's why BRT, with its dedicated lanes, with its uh, on-level boarding platforms, really actually makes a bus system work. Um, so those are some of the big ones we're talking about. And, um, and a lot of that's getting rolled into Phoenix Transportation 2050, as you noted there. Uh, Mayor Gallego was a big proponent of this. We were proponents of it as well, um, basically because we need the, the infrastructure investment to have it be a viable alternative. Um, you know, to be honest with you, one of the most frustrating things that we face at Urban Phoenix Project is this chicken and the egg problem. And that is that people tell me, I can't build 120 uh, townhouses, not even apartments. And actually, it's not the person building it who's telling me this, it's the neighbors who are telling me that you can't have townhouses here, that's too dense, that it'll be too many cars. 
Well, when we try to say, hey, what about the fact that you're on the sixth busiest bus line in the entire um, county, people go, well, no, because we don't want to invest in that anymore. So the thing is, people tell me we need to invest in transit to build density, and then they tell me that they can't invest in transit because it's not dense enough. Well, the truth is, you can make the decision as you want. Um, none of the suburbs of Phoenix were naturally going to be um, housing and retail and other things like that. Somebody went out and said, we're going to sell this land, we're going to develop new streets, we're going to do all these other things, and they designed it specifically in one way. All we're asking is that cities in Arizona are allowed to develop in the way that they choose, even if that's a more dense route than people are used to. That is, that is really um, a good answer to what I hope the audience can take from that is really knowing that there are a lot of um, um, developments happening in the city and in the state as well, but also there's really, um, uh, what, how would you call it? Would you say um, looking out for everyone or would you say really a matter of ensuring that um, there is really uh, um, 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 provided alternatives to transportation, right? And, and to really not like look at the other side, right? You have your friends on the right. Um, for example, Arizona Free Enterprise Club um, has uh, put out this article in May, May, May 2022 titled The Scheme to Bring Commuter Rail to East Valley shows the lengths government will go towards your, your, um, your, your uh, tax dollars. And that is just looking at really what you mentioned, right? Like your extension. Um, you're also looking at federal investments, but you have a whole other group from grassroots advocates that are saying that it's a waste of dollars. Um, my my take here, and I also really hope the audience is really, what you see on that? Do you do you also see it as yes, some of these projects can be wasteful? Do you see it as a long term investment or something? This is a fun question because I'll tell you this. Um, I think there was some talk, for instance, about light rail being like, oh, a billion dollars back in the day. Right. Um, the Loop 202 cost $1.7 billion. That's a freeway. So, I mean, and here's the other fun part. I've never ever driven on the Loop 202. I don't know if you have. On the, 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 the new Loop 202 around South Mountain. Yeah. I'll admit, I have I have driven on the Loop 202 on the northeast side okay. of it. But this new one, $1.7 billion. I didn't hear lots of people complaining about that use of $1 billion, um, even though it's something that I won't drive and something that... Yep, exactly. And I think that kind of speaks to this, is that, you know, um, there are a lot of things that we pay in this transportation field um, that do not directly benefit us, but that benefit connecting all of us together. Um, and that is an important point. I would say that um, I will take a slightly different opinion than some of my uh, peers, and I might get a little heat from this from my own side on this, but uh, I'm not completely anti-car, anti-freeway, things like that, but I'm anti-only car. And that's my biggest concern, is that a lot of people think that because they have a, a two-car garage and they drive everywhere, that that's how everyone lives. And it's not. And um, designing our transportation system to only have 
uh, you know, freeways connecting everywhere, if you only have it so that you can have these uh, super fast ways to drive, can be actually harmful to other people trying to get around without a car. Um, again, it's most evident in places where it gets a little bit denser, like Central Phoenix, because you can be doing stuff where it takes you, you know, a mile or half a mile out of your way just to cross a street. And that is completely inappropriate when we're saying, hey, yeah, pedestrian, you don't have the right to basically cross this street, but we're going to make it so that these cars can just speed on down as fast as possible out of the city, no matter what your safety is. Um, so I will say that there's that, and I think that there's a big question too, frankly, about how you define waste. Um, and so what I mean by that is that um, a lot of folks will say, hey, you know, transit rider numbers are down. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I, will, I won't deny that. Um, but you also have to remember that there is a lot more than just highways and freeways that we're spending money on. Um, local streets, for instance, uh, I don't expect to drive in local streets in uh, random parts of uh, northern or southern Phoenix at times. But our tax dollars are going to repaving those local streets. And those local streets, the, the property tax that, that is uh, derived from the houses those serve, especially as you go further and further away from anything else, that's not going to pay for the cost of the infrastructure to go out that far. And that's not going to, I would frankly venture, because they're usually in these kind of suburban environments, not in um, using a lot of uh, retail. So there's not a lot of sales tax that's going to come in from that. But even if we're generous, I don't think that uh, the income tax collection of maybe some higher earners is going to really pay for the extensive amount of utilities. Um, again, the infrastructure of the street itself, but not only that, you have to run water lines out there. You have to run sewage lines out there. You have to run an electricity out there. And many times we have made it so that um, the infrastructure costs are spread off of a equal amount, not, we're not tiering them, right? We're not saying, well, you pay this because you make this much and you pay that because you make that much. We're tiering them for the most part, which is fine by uh, me, but at the same time, it's not going to be uh, something that's truly fair. We're still subsidizing those exurban outskirts, um, just as much as I imagine uh, my good friends would say that we are subsidizing public transit systems. <laughs> It's true. There's a lot of subsidies in this world. There's a lot of subsidies for many different things. Um, and one last note, because this is the challenge, right? We can uh, we can uh, talk about the negatives of, of different uh, forms of transportation either everywhere we go. Everything has a trade-off. No system is perfect. And one other good example of that is that you know we haven't raised the gas tax in a very long time. And the gas tax is on, you know, gasoline. It's not going to be something that can be very easy to. Oh, uh, not going to be something. The gas tax is, is based off gasoline. Gas tax is not going to be something that you know easily translates to electric vehicles, alternative fuels. Those people are still using the same roads, still having an impact on infrastructure without paying to their maintenance necessarily. Right? So I know that there's some people that would say the same thing about, hey, bicyclists aren't paying a gas tax and they're using the roads. I get it. But I will also note here when it comes to impact, right? Like, 
you know, a few hundred pounds of a bike versus a few tons of a car, there's a different impact on the infrastructure there. So um, that's, that's what I would, I would think on that, is that there are a lot of trade-offs. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear many of the trade-offs of public transit from other individuals you'll talk to uh, as well. And that is some really like I think strong points that you have really brought to the surface that I think is everyone's mind, including the the, the listeners. Right, I, I, I really hope that some of them are also wondering these topics as well, which goes into maintenance of this of this um, expansion of light rail, or whether it's building new highways, the the TOTs as you mentioned, but also the infrastructure that comes with it. Uh, you mentioned sewer lines, water lines, um, all those new. Um, development that you mentioned from the first major point, which also brings us to our next topic, right? This is politics, right? I mean, we are now in the political meeting where um, people have to be elected to really bring some of these issues to their, um, to, to really be counted on, right? And, and, and based on your website right now, UPP, and you guys do cover um, some of those um, issues, right? right? And now going back to the transportation tax, you mentioned the gas tax. Um, what is the trajectory with there from your standpoint at the UPP? What are you guys looking at in terms of, of really ensuring that some of these um, 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 projects or developments are funded for without having to burden uh, everyone's um, expenses? That's a great question. And you know, I think um, the challenge here is that we're always working on a compromise. Um, now, I think at the same time, um, there was a time when people would be super afraid of, oh, you can't run on transit, you can't, uh, transit riders don't vote, things like, uh, you could just uh, go ahead and not do that. Well, the fact is, like, you look at things like the Phoenix General Plan update that we're talking about coming up, and um, that uh, included some briefing information that there are 250,000 uh, zero and one car households within the city of Phoenix. That's 43% of the households in the city of Phoenix have one or fewer cars available. That is a lot of people that basically need um, to be able to get where they're going via a whole range of things. Ride shares, uh, public transit being buses, light rail, et cetera, biking, busing, walking to where they need to go. Um, and uh, that's something that I think we can keep in mind. It's something that's also played out in the fact that um, back a few years ago, we had Prop 105 on the city of Phoenix's um, ballot. And that was one of the first times that somebody had said, let's vote up or down as a city, whether or not we should continue expanding light rail. And, you know, there was a thought that, well, most transit deals are, uh, transportation deals really, are a combination of multiple projects. Because again, uh, I might not be inclined to build a new freeway out in Peoria or Gilbert or Scottsdale because I live in central Phoenix, but I'm inclined to vote for something that gives uh, all of those people something and gives me something as well. And that's usually how we make these deals. But even when we put just the light rail up on the ballot, it won overwhelmingly. People voted for transit. And that's something that we love to hear. And that's something that we're, we embrace and that we go out and talk to people about can we remind folks that, you know, it's a winning message to help people out. And that's because people want to be connected. They want to live in neighborhoods where they can go and see their friends and know that they'll be there in one place 
through the mechanism of their choosing and be fine and safe on the way there and the way back. And you know, again, might get some flack from this from uh, my urban beach product friends at times, but at the same time, if they choose to use a car, that's okay by me. But I want them to have the same ability to choose to walk, to choose to bike, to choose to use the bus system as they would to choose to drive. Um, one of the uh, weirdest things that sometimes happens in like uh, the retail politics side house here talking about this is, you know, we'll go out and we'll canvas for some city council candidates and some folks, um, frankly, uh, will go to a neighborhood and they'll just drive from door to door, uh, which probably not the most environmentally friendly thing. Um, but uh, sometimes they'll do it because there's not sidewalk. <laughs> like, there's just hostile to the like idea of walking neighborhoods sometimes. Um, yeah, that just sounds like probably there. Yeah, and so that's just one of those things where it's like it's clear that like how we design our streets and our neighborhoods affects how people are going to work. Um, so that's how it is. And you know, I will say that uh, there was some kind of mention of like, oh, the friends on the right and things like that. Uh, urbanism is not liberal. Urbanism is not conservative. Urbanism is just cities. That's it. It's everything. There are amazing champions of urbanism who are, you know, what you would call like uh, a strong far right guy, and then you'll see like a liberal, a raging liberal on the, concern, on the far left, and they both have the same ideas. It's not cleanly party politics out here. Um, it's Mesa, one of the, the largest conservative-run cities in the country, loves light rail, loves multimodal infrastructure. Um, and so that's just an example of, you know, I think the message is that people people have a different set of expectations for what they want from their local community. And that's why city politics is so nice, because you really get to talk about the issues, not the parties, which and, is great. And that's something that, that you, 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 you mentioned, right, the issues, the urban issues, how you got involved in the, you know, like, um, but not to kind of like wind it down. I mean, the past election, Katie Hobbs is not the governor. Um, she was elected last November, and and just sort of like your own up in a U.S. area or U.S. area with PPP, right? What are some of the goals that you would kind of your your organization um, hope hope to see accomplished in our first term as governor? Um, you can put it in terms of transportation specifically, or you can look at uh, really making sure that the politics doesn't become the central topic of the issues here? I mean, uh, that's a great question. You know, we focus a lot on city issues because I love cities because that's where, like, where you get your hand in the dirt and you can really like be there and get the good stuff done. Um, with state politics, it sets the scene for everything. That's what's so interesting about the state is that can really set like the, this, this floor and the ceiling for what can and can't be done. And so I think that uh, what we would say with the new administration, uh, we're, we're very focused on housing with the new administration. We'll tell you that because um, this is uh, for another time, but I'll preview that housing and zoning policies aren't neutral either. Like there are specific areas of the city of Phoenix where you're not allowed to build more than one house per acre. And that has a major effect on how much housing is available and what, how, what price it is. But towards transportation, um, the governor appoints a Department of Transportation head as well as uh, the State Transportation Board, and those have major decisions 
on things that range from, you know, having, uh, there's a, a fund for uh, bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure um, that the state gets, there's funds that the state gets from the federal government to do these kind of improvements, and even to incorporate them in, into things. So one good example is that the SR30, another freeway being built in the southwest uh, uh, Phoenix metro area, um, whenever you build a freeway, you're naturally cutting off neighborhoods. Like the only way you can basically guarantee that no one's gonna cross traffic in a freeway is to make it impossible to cross traffic, right? So you have to build in underpasses or overpasses on the freeway to actually cross over and get people through. And so making sure that those kind of projects include infrastructure that people in one neighborhood on the south side of the SR30 can still get to a bodega or Circle K or something like that on the north side of the freeway is important to us. Um, and we're looking forward to seeing what happens. It's, it's a young administration. It's only been a month. There's a lot more to be done. So we'll see how it of goes. Of course. I mean, like, switching back to really, like, you know, elections and, and, and yourself also, I mean, like, um, I think five years ago, you, you, you had a case on the AZ Capital Times and showing how you were reluctant to run on somebody unless you really had to and and I mean like times have changed. I mean now you are really guy president at UB you have all these um, investments in transportation but uh, I, what what brings you to pretty much um, start a campaign or are you not interested or what's what's the what's the consensus now on on your view in terms of like putting your name out there? One fun fact about me is I will quote pop songs titles randomly. <laughs> and in this case, we'll go with Justin Bieber's Never Say Never. Never Say Never. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I think uh, in seriousness there, um, the uh, that was a fun piece that I did with some friends with Capital Times. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I said that because I was very new to the area and I didn't know a lot. And, you know, I feel more comfortable now. And I always felt like, you know, you really, you owe it to your community to really get to know it before you want to go and ask them to uh, allow you to represent them somewhere else. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable with that now, but we also have some really great um, leadership right now that are representing us at the city, at the county, at the state. So it really just depends. And uh, it's uh, something that, you, that I keep open, um, but uh, I will say you, you gotta give you got to give elected leadership credit. It takes a lot because you have to deal with all sorts of issues where people have competing views. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this. I think uh, Jim Waring, a councilman up here, gave me some great advice one day. And ironically, he, he very much isn't a fan of light rail, but we get along sometimes on this. But he told me, you know, right, it's, everything's a trade-off, right? And again, that's the thing. It's like you can never get everything. So our game is trying to get the most out of what we have. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the, the scenario that I'm looking at now is just, you know, uh, when, if the time is right or not, but I never say never. And that's something that, that I think the community believes in you, the audience, right? And also Peter Gessler, really, I think, thankful for you guys. I mean, you coming into this role at UPP, um, uh, and, and what you have done, right, you have zero vision on your to-do list, uh, some more other um, 
gonna make say shopping list right but to really now look at like uh, what's coming up next right uh, and and what the goal is for the organization we have gone through with the governor but also how the listeners kind of um, understand more about um, really how they can also be involved in this thing and in this dynamic We're always looking for new friends. We're always looking for new volunteers. Um, I'll tell you that uh, the the big thing for River Phoenix Project is we're probably doing a lot on housing this year. Uh, that's going to be the big thing that we're going to talk about. Again, you know, uh, the the built environment and development and the transportation network they go hand in hand. They're just both have to be done correctly for things to work out. Um, so we're really excited to see that. We're really excited to you know we've built up a lot of good policy wins where we've gotten the city to commit to like different safety improvements. Now the game is building them. And that is the challenge. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, it only costs like 16,000 bucks to actually like put Fleck delineators, which are the little flexible plastic ballers that make a the protected bike lane. So it's not that much money that you need. It's just you need the people to go out and do the time and make the decision to go out there and actually put them in the ground so that people uh, feel a little bit more safe compared to, you know, just biking next to a, a semi-truck that comes a little bit too close to you, right? Um, and so we would just encourage that if people are listening to this and they, they really like the uh, what they're hearing and they want to be more involved in uh, urban issues here in the uh, city of Phoenix, uh, then, or frankly in Arizona, you can always visit us at uh, our website, www.urbanphoenixproject.org, and that's spelled out, P-H-O-E-N-I-X. Um, or you can reach me, uh, you can email me at ryan.boyd, that's R-Y-A-N, period, B-O-Y-D, at uppnetwork.org. For now, you can answer my next question. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I think that's really um, uh, amazing that what you're doing here in the community, right? I think advocating for not just for one strain of um, perspective, but you're also encouraging more people to get involved. And that, I think that's always a good win. Um, and, and now it's really a matter of kind of like, I mean, Last question here, Ryan, for you. I mean, which one do you want? Curiosity or leaders? You know, because with the future is we do have the commitment to improving literacy. Um, and as well as majority, and not majority, but all of our guests, because we have come to realize this common characteristic trait between each the speaker, which is curiosity to do more, right? So I'm gonna leave it up to you to decide whether you wanna help the audience know more about how you got involved leaders or how you learn to read or whether what what is the most curious thing to do in your life. You can you can only answer one of the two as so. only one. Oh <laughs> choices, trade-offs, man. It's all about trade-offs. I I think I'll I'll pick uh, I'll pick literacy. Because uh, it's a, it's a fun one and it's a, a weird one because you know uh, I uh, at first didn't really like reading I can admit to a cardinal sin that in my <laughs> early childhood I was like oh there's all these other cool things to do and then uh, I got sucked in and wrapped into some really good stories uh, The Great Gatsby was one of my favorites uh, it felt it's a like good, it's a good yeah I, 
felt like it wrenched. I mean, I came of age in the 2008 financial crisis. So it, it, it felt kind of resonant to be talking about this glorious, like, the boom age, everybody was all this money, and then suddenly it's gone. You're yeah. like, oh, okay, I can kind of see the, the path that this book went on. The movie book was really good, too. I, I actually read the picture of around 2008. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I liked both the movie and the book, but I did read the book first, so we get that. And then okay, was, the other thing to just kind of talk about that briefly is that uh, it also was a fun thing of I was a stubborn kid at times. So I like found it when I was like in like third grade or something like that, like Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Yes. Huge Don Quixote book. You know, the classic, the yeah. first one, the guy who tilts at windmills, yeah. things like that. And I was foolish enough to think that I was going to read that at third grade. And so I tried and I got my butt kicked essentially. And uh, uh, I, I, I would finish it up later. And, but it was one of those things where, you know, I think that's a good thing to be like, hey, you can try stuff out and you not always succeed, but it'll put you on the right thing. So, you know, it, it, I learned a lot of a lot of good, good. I have a, a lot of good learning experiences from the words, from the stories, from stuff like that. And, you know, uh, sometimes you, you, you run into the wall, but you, you come back and, and then you figure out <laughs> that, oh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you keep hitting the wall multiple times, and then you realize, oh, you can go around it. And then, yeah. Amazing story, man. That, that that's something that like that I I really know know about you, and it also really like shows kind of like that that curiosity, like I think that that, that you have, uh, and I really value you for coming coming to really share with the origins of one of those um critical issues in our um community, like the local issues as you mentioned, which are transportation. I mean, you also have, uh, I think. Cast as well, but most importantly, right, making sure that like everybody has potential ways of living within the community is kind of um, 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 a priority for everyone. So, well, Ryan, thank you, appreciate you so much. Um, you already gave all your contact information, so I really don't have any other questions. But uh, if you have any other last statements, um, let the audience be aware. Thank you, man. Uh, I just appreciate it to be on. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Well, that is the end of episode four. Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Beat the Future is a nonpartisan, not-for-profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Beat the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials.